Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Catholic Connect podcast. I hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you may be in our fine universal church. Well, my parish priest, Father Carlos Nunez, stops by to give us a reflection on the season of Advent. And uh, as we record this and as we release this episode, it is during this holy season. And a reminder, too, that wherever and whenever you listen to this podcast, Advent's a time of reflection on, of course, and in the anticipation for the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, but also to think about the penitential side of that, which is, of course, going to confession often. We got to go during Advent anyways, and anytime we're in a state of mortal sin, walking in a relationship with Jesus at all times and living in a state of grace, because we know Jesus is coming again. The last judgment, he came first as a baby, the second time he's going to come as the just judge. So let's be ready. Let's walk in a state of grace. Let's live free of mortal sin. And uh, we have nothing to worry about, nothing to be afraid of. If anything, we should be, uh, our hearts should be filled, overfilled with joy with how much Jesus loves us and how important this task is, this responsibility is for all of us Catholics to spread the good news to this world. So very happy to have my parish priest, Father Carlos Nunez, offer a nice reflection on the season of Advent. I hope you enjoy this conversation, and we'll see you on the other side of the interview, my friends. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Well, I'm very blessed to have my parish priest, Father Carlos Nunez, on this episode of the podcast. You've heard him just a few months ago. We had uh, uh, a podcast on the topic of the 15 promises of the rosary, and we had some great feedback. Really appreciated everything from our listeners uh, coming back to us and saying that it meant a lot to them. They learned a lot about the devotion of the rosary. So Father Carlos is a priest here in our Archdiocese of Edmonton, and uh, you can find him every week, every Sunday, every weekend in Fort Saskatchewan in our surrounding parishes. And I want to welcome back uh, my parish priest, Father Carlos, to the Catholic Connect podcast. Father, thanks for coming back. Great to be back. Well, I'll tell you what, that... uh, that uh, talk you gave and, and the insights you shared on the rosary were fantastic. And we had so many people that uh, really loved that. And I really hope that more people will pray the rosary often every day if you can. It's just such a, a beautiful devotion and uh, with such great uh, eternal ramifications, right, Father? So, uh, mm-hmm. But on this episode here, we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit about the rosary. It'll probably come up a little bit. We want to talk a little bit about Advent and, and properly preparing for Christmas. And, uh, you know, in this day and age, we see so much, uh, you know, the commercialization of Christmas, almost like any other holiday now. And, uh, you know, it just becomes all about consumerism and shopping when it really should be a, a time for us to really pause and reflect on the spiritual aspect of our lives and being prepared to welcome Jesus Christ into our hearts. So, Maybe we'll start uh, with November here as we're recording this. Uh, I did want to kind of talk to you a little bit about the Souls in Purgatory as well, our, our larger church that we have, our expanded church. We have the church triumphant in heaven, the church militant here on earth because we're still fighting, and then we got the church suffering in purgatory. Now, there's a pious tradition in the church, Father, that, uh, that on Christmas Day, that's one of the days of the year where the most souls are released from purgatory. So we're here in this uh, the the month of the souls in uh, November. How important is it for us to remember the uh, our departed uh, family members, uh, par- parishioners too, during this month as we get prepared for for Advent and for Christmas? Yeah, I think uh, naturally, um, you know, when I I would just say pastorally, when I work with uh, 
you know, families um, who have lost loved ones. Uh, of course, uh, especially this year, this Christmas will be the first Christmas without their loved one, right? So it, 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 it. Uh, for those who have lost their loved ones, they've already they're already thinking about that. You know, maybe they're trying to not think about it. Um, but it's important to note too that you know we believe that uh, life is changed, not ended in death. That life is changed differently, and that we await the uh, final coming of Christ and the resurrection of all and His judgment uh, based on our love, as we hear in the Gospel of Matthew, how we. Uh, did and did not do uh, our love the least of these among us. Um, but we can, you know, we obviously in every mass, um, you know, we uh, were reminded that we're not just praying with ourselves, though those present, but also those in heaven and also praying for those in church suffering in purgatory. Uh, there's, um, you know, a wonderful reality that um, those in purgatory are already going to have, right? It's not an option, right? They're, they're on the way to heaven, right? They're not going to hell, right? So it's already, yes, uh, it's a, a period of purification, but it's important. It's also important to note that it is a purgation, right? Like the purging away our selfishness and our sins so that we can really truly uh, be in the pure light of heaven. I think it's, uh, you know, um, for example, Jesus comments um, on the servant who isn't ready when the, the master comes. So he says, there's one servant who is ready and he inherits all that his master has. Then there's one that says that he he begins to beat the servants and get drunk and he's not prepared and he's cut in two we hear, right? So a permanent, um, you know, obviously uh, hell. Uh, but then he mentions two other servants in there. He says one who, you know, knew what he needed to do and, and didn't do well. And he said he will receive a, a severe beating, right? And so Jesus begins by explaining this is the judgment. But the thing with the beating is it's temporary. It's not permanent, right? Mm -hmm. And then he also mentions uh, that the other servant will be, he didn't know what to do, but he also wasn't doing it well. So he'll receive a lighter lighter beating, right? And so we're, we kind of frown from this kind of master slavery beating thing, but that that was very common, unfortunately, in Jesus' time. So he uses an, uh, an analogy uh, and a reality that they would know. But he, he mentions two types of people who are, temp who are suffering temporarily because they, but they're, they're not cut in two, right? <laughs> that would be permanent. Um, and so they still inherit the master's kingdom, but they are temporary punished, right? So we, yes, we have, you know, our sins are forgiven as sins of confession. Um, but, you know, like if I break a window, I can say, I'm sorry, and you can forgive me, but the window is still broken. I still need to repair the damage that I've done, right? So the, the and this is uh, why we need to pray for souls who are in purgatory is, you know, they're going to heaven. And of course, this is a very important to note is that um, these people are holy already, you know, and they will be purely holy in heaven, right? Anybody who is in heaven, if you think about it, uh, one commenter mentioned, like, you know, you're before God in heaven and nothing can uh, withstand in front of God that has any sin, any selfishness, any judgment or any negative uh, viewpoint. It has to be pure before God. So we were definitely uh, not that way unfortunately right now uh you know our blessed mother definitely was you know and um saints who you know um live well and also die well you know there's a wonderful book visions of purgatory a private revelation and it's written by an anonymous author um you know and you can take that with uh the information provided there as you wish it's obviously not required to believe <laughs> but it's an interesting book because that person talks about how um 
these are good people, you know, like these are very, very, you know, people who did God's will and, and are going to heaven. And so we should, they should, he also describes them um, as people who are, they can see that they're getting there, but they're not there yet. And they, they anticipated, like, it'd be like, for example, if you landed in the tarmac and you know, you're going to Disneyland, you're there, but there's the baggage delay, you're in the back in an economy and there's all these people ahead of you. And, you know, like if you have kids and you have to tell them to wait, it's like, oh, the kids are like, they, they're dying because they have to wait, you know, like, well, we're almost there. When are we there? Are we there? You know, like, but, you know, of course, you know, you know, you're going to heaven, you're there, but you're, you realize that what's keeping you is actually your selfishness. It's actually your sins. And then that's that regret and that um, you kind of seeing the absolute beauty of God getting a sense of it anyway, and realizing that it's yourself preventing you from getting there you know that's that that suffering part of course the lord is you know taking those things away from us um and of course as the saints would say try to live a purgatory on earth you know to try to mm-hmm. to um curb our selfish tendencies now um to be for others now um yeah so we pray for the dead because it's an act of mercy we hear this in second maccabees um you know for those who had passed away in um fighting with judas maccabeus and he offered uh, uh, prayers for them because he believed in the resurrection, you know, we hear. And so this is part of our belief that, you know, that we'll believe that we, in the resurrection of the body, right? So those who have gone before us, they're in heaven, right? And their spirit, we pray for their spirit, with their souls. But we also believe, as we mentioned in the creed every Sunday, in the resurrection of the body, right? So that we'll be re- resurrected with resurrected bodies at the end of time. Um, I could, you know, that's a whole conversation at the end that we could go into. But um, in general sense is that we are, you know, no one is perfect when they die. You know, some people it's more obvious than others. But, um, you know, I definitely would want people to pray for me. So I definitely pray for, you know, my own family members, extended family members, um, you know. And we can never really judge the state of someone's soul. Um, you know, for some people it might be more obvious than others, but even the repentant thief at the end of his life, right, turned to Christ and said, you know, Jesus, remember when you come into your kingdom and the Lord said, you know, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so, you know, we, um, we hope in the salvation of all, but, you know, it's ultimately God's job, not ours. Right. And that's the greatest legacy of uh, faith that we could leave to our children and to, to give back to our, our parents and our grandparents, our great grandparents. Maybe we haven't even met some of these folks yet, Father, right? You know, maybe yeah. they're our, our great grandparents, but I'll bet you they had a lot to do with uh, our faith that we have today, right? They they were the ones that they were the trailblazers in our family to bring the faith to maybe they came from a distant country into to Canada or the United States, but they they brought this uh, this precious gift of faith. And uh, boy, the best way that we can uh, keep that. Um, that gift going is by praying for their souls. And uh, I was just looking back at the 15 promises of the rosary father. And uh, number three, the rosary shall be a powerful armor against hell. It will destroy vice, decrease sin and defeat heresies. Boy, we could use more of that. Couldn't we? And then Mm -hmm. it says, number nine, I shall deliver from purgatory. Those who have been devoted to the rosary. So two of the 15 uh, beautiful promises from the blessed Virgin Mary, you know, you think of, of Lent uh, versus Advent, you know, there's the, the the um you know a rather jarring image of jesus christ on the cross right father and uh, mm-hmm. you know the cross uh, as uh, saint paul i believe mentions in in scriptures that uh you know it's um it's it's definitely a, a sign and uh, of um, 
controversy to people, right? When they see it, it's it, it's uh, something that really irks their conscience in a lot of ways. Whereas we have the the birth of Jesus Christ, him coming as a baby and swaddling clothes. It's not quite as jarring of an image. But uh, is there still sort of a, a penitential aspect of Advent that maybe not might not be as rigorous as Lent? But is there still some sort of a, a penitential aspect to the, the season of Advent before Christmas? Yes. Um, we can see in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 524, I'll just read it. And it's, it's, uh, it says, when the church celebrates the liturgy of Advent each year, she makes present this ancient expectancy of the Messiah, for by sharing in the long preparation for the Savior's first coming, they faithfully renew their ardent desire for his second coming. By celebrating the procurer's birth, the martyrdom, and the church unites herself to his desire, he must increase, but I must decrease. So that, that from the lips of St. John the Baptist. So, um, you know, uh, when they asked, when his disciples kind of mentioned, you know, this Jesus guy is really gaining in popularity, but you know, you're like, they're kind of trying to save his favor. And, but he's like, no, 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 this is okay. You know, Christ must increase. I must decrease. Right. So the season of Advent has, well, I mean the whole Christian life, but particularly in the season of Advent, the catechism brings up this quote, um, you know, to uh, John the Baptist who proceeds, you know, he goes before to prepare the way, uh, for the Lord. And um, so I think, you know, you know, for example, in we're in Poland or in other Slavic countries, um, they don't eat meat Christmas Eve, right? Mm. They, they wait right. this day, they have a lot of fish meals. And so, you know, uh, my associate pastors from Poland or other people from Slavic countries, they're kind of <laughs> surprised when we're <laughs> eating meat, <laughs> we're having turkey or whatever uh, before Christmas. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we, our, our country is quite new, you know, it's, you know, um, but um, so in other countries, it's more apparent than maybe in ours. But, um, you know, some people may say that, of course, it's been social because my, their, their, uh, their bank accounts decrease. <laughs> um, <laughs> So uh, in the season of Christmas, but um, you know, in the catechism there, we, I, I love what it says, you know, um, that because sometimes we can, th- Advent can become like, Oh, we're just preparing for celebrating a birthday of the Lord's birthday. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, and sometimes with kids, you know, it's like, Oh, well, Jesus is, the, he, he's the best. So he, he has the biggest birthday party. Right. And it, it's not just a party. Uh, we're not just trying to remember somebody from history, but this is our Lord and that he is coming again. And so mm-hmm. the season of Advent is actually to remind us how the people of Israel were being prepared by God and how they responded to the Messiah's first coming. And this is a way of teaching us how to anticipate and respond to Christ's second coming. You know, so it's an active thing. We're, we're remembering the past because Christ is coming again, right? So this is, you know, why should Advent matter? You know, because it's not just a remembering, but it's a remembering to prepare ourselves for something we don't know when it's coming, Christ's second coming, right? So I very like that the catechism can say that because sometimes um, uh, without meaning to, we can make Advent or, or Christmas itself a passive thing. Like it's just, we're just honoring God by remembering things. But the thing is, is that, we're we're holding on to the greatest gift which is christ coming for us you know god doesn't need to do any of any any of this right god is perfect within himself 
he's doing this all for us, for you and for me, right? And so taking that um, and realizing, you know, how does this affect me? What is this? Well, this is, the Lord has done this. He be, He was born for our salvation. You know, he, he was born knowing that he would give his life for you and for me, which we celebrate in the season of Christmas, Good Friday through his passion, death and resurrection, right? But he, he was born, he was coming into a world to take on our humanity, uh, the, um, well, and really to, to take on the fullness of humanity because we're, we have a fallen human nature because of original sin. Uh, but he shows us what we should do with our freedom and how we respond to suffering. He takes on all the things that we're afraid of, right? Self uh, being abandoned by others, being accused falsely, being um, you know tortured, death, all these things, and he loves through them, right? He he shows us what to do with our broken human nature, with his full human nature. Um, and of course, um, the season of Advent is always anticipating this beautiful reality. And so we hear from St. John the Baptist, he must increase, but I must decrease, right? So he's referring to Christ. Jesus must increase and I must decrease. So what I would like to do is just in the first chapter of uh, Pope Benedict Sixteenth, the Amidst and Narratives of Jesus of Nazareth, he, he goes into, a, 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 very beautifully, he says, you know, we have to know who Jesus is. So if Jesus is going to increase, well, who is he, right? Uh, and this and by asking this in a very important question, which all the Gospels address, you know, in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 9, uh, you know, we hear Pilate ask, where are you from? Because where you're from helps you understand who you are, what you're about, and of course, for us, you know, if Christ is going to increase in our life, well, who is Jesus? And kind of, and then we have to look at where is he from? Because part of the season of Advent, part of the Christmas season is what? The, the the thing that everybody loves is the genealogy of Jesus. Just reading all the names, right? Everybody loves that aspect. No, not really. But why why is that included in the gospel, right? So Pope Ben the 16th in his um, precursor to his book, Jesus Nazareth looks at the narratives and he, he comments, you know, how we have in Matthew and Luke, we have the narrative of <clears throat> the names, but of course he brings out some distinctions, which I think is important for us because it answers that question. You know, he talks about when we look at scripture, when you always need to ask, you know, what was the intent of the author when they wrote it at the time that they wrote it? But then also the second question is, well, is it true? Yes. And does it concern me? Like, and if, and if so, how, how does this, the genealogy of Christ, his, why did they put that in there? You know, in the season of Advent, we're looking at how God prepared the people through all these people that are named in the genealogy and, and, and bring up the Christ. So we're, we're looking at how God in a wider span of than our own life, it, you know, God works in generations and over centuries and millennia. It reminds us, well, one, <clears throat> we need to be patient because God works in different ways than we do. And he can work over a wider span of time than we can. But anyway, he says, so where are you from, right? So and what's interesting is Jesus's response, we hear, it actually causes a little bit of fear in uh, Pilate because uh, he mentions that he is, you know, not from this place. That, uh, and of course, uh, this, this bring, brings to uh, the question, you know, where is, um, who is this Jesus? Because later on, people uh, we hear in the Gospel of John is, is not this Jesus whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? You know, from the Gospel of John, verse 6, verse 42. There's this, there's this duality. People know, they think they know, anyway, 
the Jesus, they say Jesus from Nazareth, right? But of course, we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he lived and grew up in Nazareth. But he actually also went to Egypt, came back. <clears throat> and what Pope Benedict the Sixteenth will point out is that um, yes, that there was a physical place where Christ was born, but we also know that he was from above, right? That the genealogy ends with the male line; it ends with a woman, it ends with Mary, um, and uh, it and it mentions that. Joseph is the stepfather, right? Mm -hmm. It's not the father, that God is his father. So Matthew begins the gospel with the genealogy right away to let you know that uh, Jesus is the fulfillment from Abraham, from the promise of Abraham. So Matthew starts his genealogy from Abraham to Jesus because he's talking to a Jewish audience, right? So the promises of Abraham. Whereas Luke, who is not Jewish, he wants to grab a wider audience. So he's he starts from Jesus, but he goes all the way down to Adam, right? He says, <clears throat> when we look at the Gospel of Luke, the, um, Gospel of Luke chapter 3, verse 30 says, uh, God is there at the beginning of human existence. So we hear Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, the son of God, right? So Adam, because he's made first, would be described as the son of God, right, in, in the Old Testament. Of course, the new Adam is Jesus. And so the way that Luke is describing it is that Jesus is part of this new creation, this new beginning uh, in the genealogy. Of course, um, it's also interesting to note that Luke will bring the genealogy of Jesus, not at the beginning of his gospel, um, but he'll bring it up when Jesus begins his public ministry to kind of say, well, who is this Jesus? And he begins his public ministry and introduces him. No, he is he he's coming from he, he involves all the uh other people of israel's history from the first uh man that was ever made all the way to present so it's kind of involves all of humanity um and so we this is important to note when we look at the gospels and then very beautifully you know um jesus asks his own disciples who do people say that i am who do you say that i am in, in mark chapter 8 verse 27 uh, these are uh, important questions. He's, he asks his disciples, he asks us, that, and we have to answer that, right? So I, I, uh, very beautiful Pope Benedict is kind of saying, uh, you know, to look at, at the Gospels, we see that they take this emphasis on who is Jesus, uh, and they use the genealogy and, of course, many other things to describe Jesus. Of course, Jesus is Lord. But then that's also a great question for us is when we begin the season of Advent again is, well, who is the Lord to me, you know, and where, where, where am I in terms of my relationship with the Lord, you know, kind of going to the very beginning. Uh, the letter of Hebrews rightly uh, presents uh, Christ, a pilgrim of the faith on the basis of a promise. It says, he, so, oh, sorry, of Abraham. So Abraham, referring to Abraham, the book of Hebrews says, he looked forward to the city from which it has foundations, whose builder and maker is God, right? So, Matthew starts with Abraham, and Abraham has this promise that he will have generations made after him. And then it also mentions in Genesis chapter 18, verse 18, all the nations of the earth shall bless themselves by him, right? So how will all the nations of the world be blessed by Abraham? Well, that will be because Jesus will be coming from the line of Abraham, and he will bless all nations. And so there's this anticipation um, uh, from the very beginning of Christ uh, renewing the world. And of course, we hear the Lord says to disciples, he, 
to us in the gospel of Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, to make disciples of all nations, right? That we, by sharing the gospel, will help bring uh, the people to be blessed by all nations. Um, and then, of course, another figure that's mentioned in the genealogy is David, you know, and we hear in 2 Samuel verse uh, chapter 7, verse 16, your throne shall be established forever, right? You know, referring to David. Well, of course, what's very important to know is when Jesus comes on the scene, uh, when his birth happens at Bethlehem, right? The, 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 David, uh, the, the people of Israel have not had a kingdom for a couple hundred years, right? In fact, they're owned by the Roman forces who have been ruling them for some time. And the Davidic kingdom has not been around for a while. So, but we hear a very important thing in the genealogy is that uh, legally, Jesus is Joseph's son under the law, and Joseph is from the line of David. So Jesus is from God. God is his father, but he's also legally from the line of David, right? Mm -hmm. So we see this foreshadowing, and we see this when we read uh, in the genealogy. It kind of answers that question that was presented um, uh, all the way in Second Samuel. How is this going to be fulfilled? How is David's kingdom going to be forever? And what's interesting is in something that we wouldn't get from just reading it is um, uh, Pope Ben the 16 points out that the genealogy of Luke, because it's longer, because it starts all the way from, it includes from Adam all the way to Jesus. Um, he mentions that the word David in Hebrew, um, they take each letter and they add a number value to it. And so if you take the, the name of David, it equals up to 14. And so what's interesting is they mentioned then the genealogy of uh, that Luke presents is that there's three sets of 14. So it's like saying David, David, David. So like Jesus is the new king of Israel. He's the fulfillment of uh, what has been promised. And uh, in Matthew, you, you also have this uh, theme of, building up to uh, the all the promises, as Matthew mentions in the rest of his Gospels, that Jesus fulfills this promise and this promise, that he He is the summation, the fulfillment of the law, of uh, the Torah, of uh, the priesthood. And the reason why this is important is, well, you know, when we think about genealogies, you know, this person was the father of this person, This, and it can be very boring when we're reading it. But as Matthew's you know, and then Luke, they start with the male line, but of course it ends with Mary, right? Which is important note that as uh, Pope Benedict mentions, Mary is a new beginning. Her child does not originate from any man, but is a new creation conceived through the Holy Spirit. We hear in Matthew chapter one, verse 20, that which is conceived by Mary is of the Holy Spirit, right? Because Joseph is thinking about leaving Mary, but of course the angel presents to him and says, no, you know, uh, this child is... Uh, do not dismiss her because this child is of the Holy Spirit. We hear in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 20. So there's also a couple of women that are mentioned in Matthew's genealogy, Tamar, Rehab, Ruth, and the wife of Uriah. Now, why do these women appear in the genealogy? Well, Pope Benedict XVI comments that in the past it had been mentioned that because these women were sinners and that by including these sinners in the geology of the line of Jesus, you know, it was showing that Jesus is taking on our sins. Now, that's not necessarily the case for all these women. He rather points out that all these women are, in fact, not Jewish. And so it, it's a he would say that it, it anticipates 
that even in Jesus' own line, he has people that are not Jewish, so that it anticipates his future mission to the Jews and the Gentiles. Mm. And and all this is very beautiful because what he talks about is that he, now he talks about the Gospel of John, and he and he this chapter at the beginning of the narrative is very interesting because you're thinking, well, I know the the narrative genealogy of Luke and Matthew, but where is that in John? Like, where, where, what is it you mean by that? And so he says, when we look at the Gospel of John very beautifully, he mentions that John has recapsulated the deepest meaning of the genealogies, and moreover, he has taught us to understand them as an interpretation of our own origin and our true genealogy. Just as the genealogy breaks, uh, breaks off at the end because Jesus was not begotten of Joseph, but was truly born of the Holy Spirit from the Virgin Mary, so it can now be said of us that our genealogy is faith in Jesus who gives us a new origin who brings us to birth from God. And he gets this from John chapter 1, verse 12, where we say, For to all who receive him and believe in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Um, and this is uh, very beautiful. And he talks about how at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, we hear, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt, or in Hebrew, pitched his tent among us, right? So tabernacle among us, right? And then Pope Benedict will mention that the, what was the tent, this tabernacle? It was the tent of meeting. So Jesus is the tent of meeting. So every time when we go to the Lord, present in the Eucharist and the tabernacle, that is the tent of meeting where we're encountering this Lord, our Lord. Mm. It's very beautiful. But then what he says is because John has described it this way, um, it also it reminds us, and because of the verse that he quotes, from First uh, John verse twelve, that now it reminds us that we too are born of the Spirit. We're not just born by blood. He he brings this beautiful reality that yes, the incarnation, which we uh, we celebrate it at Christmas, we too have two geologies. We are from wherever we're born from, just like Jesus. But because of our baptism, we are now in Christ. We are also a son and daughter of God. We're also born. In our Christian faith, we are children of God. You know, not obviously to the same extent of Jesus being the Son of God, but we are children of God. And so he has this very beautiful understanding. So how does this geology affect me? Well, it helps me to see that Jesus has come for non-Jewish people because we see non-Jewish people in his genealogy, that God works over a period of time. And then that in my baptism, I too in the season of Advent, I'm not just thinking about where I'm from, because often what do we do during Christmas? We think of our family. We want to go visit our family. But also Advent reminds us that we're also from God, that God is our Father. That we're also from our Lord. Uh, and specifically, obviously, for us Christians that are baptized because of our baptism, as I'll read again, for to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, right? And of course, when we look at that genealogy, when it goes from, you know, Joseph, the stepfather of Joseph, and to Mary, born of Mary about the Holy Spirit, you know, it's, it's, he's born of with, a, with the heavenly father, not with an earthly father, right? And so we too uh, have this, uh, share this duality of a genealogy 
of our family tree. And we also have one of our faith. You know, and it's interesting because when I meet with couples for marriage, uh, one of the questions we ask is, where were your parents born? And surprisingly, a lot of people don't know. They know maybe where their parent is from, their dad or their mom, but actually born, they might not know. Because sometimes, depending if it's a small town, it might not be that town. It might be the larger city nearby. Um, but it's also something that sometimes we don't even talk about <laughs> where we're born, right, amongst our own family. Um, and sometimes they're embarrassed to realize, oh, sorry, Father, I don't know where my mom or my dad was born. Or, you know, so, and this is, that's the thing I find surprising. It's not your grandma or your grandpa. It's just their own mom and dad, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it shows us that uh, I just find it interesting because, you know, our world, like you, you mentioned at the beginning, presents to us consumerism. Right. So who am I? I'm a consumer. Right. And so what does a consumer need to do? It needs to have products in order to be happy. Right. Whereas when we look at the season of Advent, it's saying that I'm a child of God and that God over centuries has been preparing in a beautiful way to give me the great gift of his son, which makes me a son of God through his life, through his death and resurrection, which I share in baptism. And that by knowing that, then going into my life, I'm not a consumer, thankfully, but I'm a child of God. And so then I can use the goods of the world uh, for the good of others, for the good of God, um, that I'm not purely just a consumer. Because that's the thing is, then our world uh, purports this and, and says, you know, when you buy this or buy that, you'll be happy. But of course, we obviously, the more you live, you realize the more that it's not true. And in fact, then you have to store these things and then pay for a place to store these things. <laughs> Well, I'm wondering if there's like a, a maybe a parallel there with the the three wise men, right? And uh, maybe we'll get back to that in just a minute. But I the the next paragraph after um, I think it was uh, which one did you read here? It was number five twenty four in yeah. the Catechism of the Catholic yeah. Church. I like this one. So the next the, the next kind of series of writings in the Catechism of the Catholic Church says it's the Christmas mystery. I like this. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, Jesus was born in a humble stable into a poor family. Simple shepherds were the first witnesses to this event. And in this poverty, heaven's glory was made manifest. And I thought that was really interesting because, you know, you think of the Old Testament, just like you said, Father, this was a long time coming. People were preparing for the birth of Christ for generations, you know, centuries and centuries and centuries. And when Jesus came, it was, it's interesting. Well, first and foremost, of course, the, the greatest human that's ever lived outside of Jesus Christ is the Blessed Virgin Mary. And then the most holy man who's ever lived outside of Jesus Christ is St. Joseph. And of course, uh, purity and chastity there, they've, you know, it's, it's personified in them uh, is the, the purity. And uh, then you think of the shepherds too, Father. And uh, they, these are, you know, back in the day, I mean, these are, these are the poorest of the poor. These are humble people, right? But you can tell that they were, they were watching. You know, they're watching the sheep. But they're also, that's why the angels came to them. They were watching in the sky. They saw this this message, right, from the angels. And then I was thinking, too, of the wise men. And how interesting is that, Father? Probably wealthy people, right? Probably wealthy men. Uh, you know, I, I'm not, uh, people call them the wise men. Sometimes they're the three kings from a distant land. Mm -hmm. But again, they were watching, too, weren't they, Father? They were watching and, and being vigilant and by looking at the signs in the sky, and then mm -hmm. when the star came, that's when they knew that that was the Savior, which I thought is really interesting. 
And then kind of almost in the, the face of consumerism that we would see today, they come with gifts. Right? Mm-hmm. So they're watching. They're probably, you know, wealthy in, in our, the eyes of even our world today. They probably came in on camels and came in in a caravan. But they were still, they gave gifts that were worth a lot. So they were vigilant, but they also came bearing gifts. I just thought it's it's an interesting group of people that Jesus came to first. They were the ones that recognized Christ first, right? It wasn't the the proud. It wasn't the the rich, uh, you know, of of love of money in that sense of being rich. It was the uh, those who were that were humble, pure, and those that were watching. Mm-hmm. Do you see some parallels there that we can kind of compare to today? Yeah. Well, you know. Um, Wise men still seek him, right? Is uh, uh, right. one of the <laughs> bumper stickers. Yeah, bumper <laughs> stickers mugs. we have for for Advent, and wise men and women are still seeking him. Um, but that's it, you know. Like the the Advent is to help in our, ourselves to create the desire uh, for Christ to be born in us, right? So, uh, as you mentioned, um, just the paragraph beneath that one in five twenty six, it mentions to become a child in relation to God is the condition for entering the kingdom, right? Of course, we hear that in uh, mm-hmm. the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 3 to 4, which is the, uh, got some quotes. For this, we must humble ourselves and become little. Even more to become a child, a children of God, we must be born from above or born of God. Only when Christ is formed in us will the mystery of Christmas be fulfilled in us. Christmas is the mystery of this marvelous exchange, right? So the Magi... You know, anticipating a, from a a, prov- a prophecy that um, a star will uh, will rise from the land of Judah and that this king will arise, the you know a lot of people heard that. Not too many people react to it. Not too many prepared people prepared for it, uh, and they, on faith, went to follow a star, um, to go to the place where they would find where the Lord was being born. And what, what what's interesting is with the Magi is that where do they go, right? They go to see uh, the king and they go to, to see the other people that he brings in scribes to, to help them to verify. Oh yeah, no, the, but the star will be in Bethlehem. They hear, oh, okay, that this, you know, Bethlehem. So, you know, it's interesting. And then all of a sudden they become aware that, oh, maybe, you know, there might be a king being born here pretty soon. But, you know, it's funny, they have the scriptures and then they can point to verify what the Magi are doing. But, you know, we don't hear of them really seeking mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the birth of the king. Of course, we we also know why because uh, the king at that time was completely jealous about his power uh, and not wanting it. And I think that's kind of the um, the comparison between our world and and the church um, or the attitude of the world is: I want to build a kingdom for myself, mm-hmm. and you know, um, but the Lord is coming in as a king, which if we're self centered and uh, prideful, we see as a threat. Yes. Um, and so we, that part of it, humbling ourselves is, yes, I may be having goods and I want my kids to have the best or things like that. But really, if I can humble myself, and allow this Christ child to be king of my life, um, you know, he'll also help me to be a child of God. Right. Uh, and also help me to use the, the things I have as gifts for him. You know, we uh, very beautifully in the gospel of Matthew, right, uh, which I mentioned earlier, it says, you know, um, how you um, treat the least of these, you do it to him, right? And so the Magi presenting gifts to Christ who, as a child, chose to come into our world 
helpless. He couldn't feed himself, couldn't change himself. He needed Mother Mary and Foster Father St. Joseph to take care of Christ. You know, we see that the Lord sees all the problems of the world. And how does he decide to come? He, he decides to come helpless and dependent, right? Which is, is completely crazy to us because we want to become, we want to enter a problem prepared and ready and to tackle it. But of course, our Lord, uh, his ways are not our ways, right? So the season of Advent, we're humbling ourselves so that Christ may be born in us. So we need to divest ourselves of what we have, like these magi, like these wise men, wise men who uh, are more concerned. Of course, their gifts, what do they bring? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? So they bring gold for he's a king, frankincense, you know, uh, like a priest who prays in the temple with frankincense and offers incense, and then myrrh, which is the anointing oil that you would use uh, on people who have passed away. So there's an anticipation of his death and, and resurrection there. So there, there are these three gifts that kind of, you know, uh, also speak to prophetically uh, his vocation as well. Yeah, how fascinating is that? Just those three gifts and specifically what they were too. It, yeah. Uh, sure, yeah, it just points to, um, yeah, just how great the message was and how uh, how important the, the wise men were in their in their prophecy too, you know, and fulfilling the prophecy of, of the whole testament and and then eventually, of course, the the passion and death and resurrection of our Lord. You know, you're, you're quoting Pope Benedict there, Father, and I thought that was interesting too about humility and, and you know how we can sometimes see things, Jesus is a threat to us, but it was Pope Benedict who said in one of his sermons that, you know, when we open the doors to Jesus Christ and let him into our hearts, that we lose nothing, right? Our life yeah. becomes so much better. When yes. We just surrender ourselves in humility and uh, and give ourselves to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? And and I think even during this time, Father, I think it's important to note too that it, we got to go to confession as Catholics and uh, going to confession during Advent is just so vital, isn't it? And yeah. in preparing for, for uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. So how important is it for us? You know, maybe some of our listeners haven't been to confession in a long time, but that's something from a practical level for our spiritual lives and our spiritual good that we can do during this season, can't we, Father? Yeah, actually, I would tie it to kind of imitating a little bit the wise uh, men, you know, so... I would say, you know, if we're wise, we we uh, the Lord really wants our heart, and so by coming into the sacrament of reconciliation, we can share the Lord with our heart, with all its warts, wrinkles, and as it is, with the good and the bad, and uh, the Lord will give us His greatest gift, which is His love and His mercy, uh, so that we may be forgiven, of course, and um, and by doing that, you know, we present gifts, but we ourselves come back with the great with the greatest gift, which is um, you know, uh, the Eucharist, Christ's presence in us and the forgiveness of our sins, right? So the Magi went away, um, you know, they presented the gifts to this humble child, but they went away with this beautiful wonderment at how God is working in this beautiful way. And they would share, I'm sure, their experience, right? You know, and the, the, the church fathers described the star as, um, you know, as an angel that leads, mm. um, them to uh, uh, to the magic because we hear that the the star leads them right to the physical spot right so stars in general can lead us in directions and I think it's a both and yes God uses creation to help us direct us and and the star but I think you know as they got closer you know the the angel there was and so when you see a Christmas tree and you see a star or see an angel I would say they're both right <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah in the season of Advent 
you know, we're, you know, as it mentions, he must increase, but I must decrease. We hear from St. John the Baptist. And we looked at Pope Benedict who says, well, who is Jesus? We hear, you know, from his genealogy already, they're describing who Jesus is, that he's the fulfillment of the law of the Torah, that he is the new Adam, that he's the new creation. And we too, through his death and resurrection, we also become new children of God. We have our own genealogies, our own stories, where we're own from, but we're also uh, renewed in Christ. And of course, as we were mentioning, coming to confession, that's, which is definitely part of the Advent season, is to, to humble ourselves. They become children of God to divest of our pride, uh, to um, allow Christ to fill us with himself, which is the greatest gift, so that Christ may be born in us. Um, and so that's definitely not the way the world approaches Christmas, right? The, the, the Lord sees, oh, the world sees that, you know, oh, guests were mentioned, you know, and so the consumerism has taken that over and says, okay, well, we need to give gifts to people and run around. And um, what it actually creates is a lot of worry, anxiety, frustration between families um, or expectations. And people can, if they approach it purely from a world point of view, actually end up hating Christmas because mm -hmm. it all they see is all it's taking from them not giving them anything like their money, their gifts, their time, trying to see the in-laws and they don't like the in-laws or whatever, but they, they, it totally misses the point of seeing the, the gift of Christ in, in their life and an opportunity to allow by giving away your sins in, in confession, right. And receiving Christ by humbling ourselves. You know, we have a lot more peace because we have being of peace in our life. Right. You know, I remember one time um, I was, I wasn't appreciated. I was a seminarian, um, and, uh, or actually I, I wasn't even seven years. I think I was just volunteering and helping in my parish in St. Teresa's and over there, I'm not sure if they still do this, but during Christmas day, the nights would direct traffic during Christmas. So we have the Christmas masses because <laughs> infamously our parish of St. Teresa's holds like 2000 people, but our parking lot is like, is like, I don't know, 30 cars. <laughs> and so uh, many people have to park on the on the sidewalks or there is there was a building now they covered in care and destroyed it because they're building a new building there but anyway there there's not that much parking so they obviously especially for handicapped people they're bringing people in and i was helping with that and then because I, I had already gone to the first mass and so we had you know there's a few masses afterwards and i go into uh, a cordoned off area that's just for us to rest to get a coffee or something like that and so i'm there waiting in between um and there's this lady on the other side of this divide who doesn't know I'm there. She's just coming in because she was at mass and now she's getting to go to the bathroom. So she, during mass, she, she comes and brings her kid because she needs to feed or something. And she doesn't know I'm there. And she's on the other side and she's uh, talking on the cell phone because somebody from her family isn't there at the mass yet. And she's just complaining about how she's tired, how she's exhausted, uh, how um, these other people aren't going to be here. They're not making it on time, all this stuff. And I just, I, I just remembered that. And I just thought, you know, like if, you know, when I, or if I become a priest, cause I wasn't sure at that point in my life, I have to remember, this is, this is probably the base that a lot of people are at when I'm talking to them at Christmas mm -hmm. is that their life is chaotic. They're trying to appease their in-laws themselves, <laughs> their kids, and they're running around. And ironically in the season of Advent, which is helping us prepare to receive Christ, who is the King of peace, we are exact opposite. And, mm. um, and I think Avon is a beautiful antidote um, to the temptation uh, to make Christmas purely 
um, a celebration of a birthday or of a, of family traditions, um, which in themselves are not bad, but if they become the only thing, they become an idol into themselves. That's where the problem is, right? Um, and uh, so I would say if people are, you know, preparing for Advent, you know, there's that beautiful tradition of of realizing that um, uh, our gifts could be donations to charities. Uh, our gifts could be making. I remember one gentleman who grew up from a large family. He said they would always, because they couldn't afford much, they would get the kids to him himself, uh, sorry, himself and his family. Each of them would make a gift for each other. They would they would use it as an opportunity to take crafts and make, you know, whatever it is. And, and of course, yeah, it was more the, Kind of they've contributed to something as a gift to others now of course when i was a kid i was totally in that space i want a gift and i'd take sure. the catalog and i would point at the gifts that i wanted and you know like <laughs> i was all been their father yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was very you know and then when i got older i realized oh maybe i should focus more on jesus right so <laughs> and of course when we do that not surprisingly we we find more peace and uh obviously more forgiveness in our life well and i like the idea too of of certain families that I've, I've heard. And even in our own family, sometimes it's just as simple as uh, making some cookies and having a cookie exchange or, or some Christmas baking so that the focus can be on Jesus Christ on going to Christmas day, going to those, uh, those beautiful, the beautiful mass of, you know, Christmas Eve, Christmas day, and uh, just putting our, our focus back on the season, you know, and I know that sometimes they'll doing all the cooking and do those things that can be really stressful too. And then there's other folks, uh, especially a lot of the, the grandmas and the moms that just love that kind of stuff too. So, and of course, breaking bread together and having a, a family meal is so, so uh, important, isn't it father? But uh, there are practical ways that we can really bring the season the, the holiness of the season and, and how special it is to our, our own lives and, and really can sanctify our own souls. Right now. So of course, father, the last couple of years has been just a weird world as we know. And, uh, this is our first Christmas probably since I guess 2019 where some of the restrictions that we've seen on, uh, sadly for so many parishes around the world, yeah. uh, that, uh, people haven't been able to, to attend Christmas mass the way they should be able to. But this is going to be a little bit different. But we've seen the the issue around the world, right, Father? We've seen that uh, a lot of parishes have seen uh, a decrease in attendance. Um, and unfortunately, a little bit of a, not a little bit, but a loss of faith in our church, which is sad. Now, thankfully, our parish seems to be doing okay, not here to brag or anything like that. But, uh, you know, our attendance probably maybe has taken a little bit of a step back. But I know just from talking to a lot of other people that it's a lot worse in, in a lot of other areas. So we're going to be seeing a lot of folks that maybe haven't been to the a Catholic church for many years, haven't been to mass in many years um, outside of praying for them, of course, and doing some of the obvious, what are some things that we can uh, maybe offer up during Advent for, for these folks that are coming back and some other practical things we can do to spread the gospel and share that with them during the Christmas season. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, like uh, often the gospel is described as um, a seed that's planted right? And for uh, a seed to plant, we have to know the soil. So uh, to have a better understanding of where these people are in their life, their real needs and their real worries, where they're coming from, um, is where I always try to start with, because then I can better understand, you know, for example, if, um, you know, uh, like I mentioned before, at the beginning, when we mentioned All Souls Day, 
for some people, the season increase, especially if they lost someone very close to them this year, will be an extremely sad period of time because they'll think of who they're missing. So, you know, I would then approach telling them about Christmas or coming to masses, like because sometimes well-intentioned, there's um, some Christian denominations will do a blue Christmas. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if they're using all of this as the theme there for the uh, blue Christmas song, but I, um, theologically, I disagree with that. I, I would say that uh, Christ came for everybody and mm-hmm. it's not meant to be like, again, like I said, like a Christmas party celebration, like birthdays or something like that like Christ was poor. He was born in a stable in a feeding trough in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Right. So already have anticipations of the Eucharist. Mm. Uh, Joseph and Mary were poor. Right. They uh, because of a census, they were in Bethlehem. They weren't there originally. Um, life was not easy. You know, after Jesus was born, we don't really talk about it too much. But there was the killing of the innocents. Yes. Right. A lot of children died. Jesus and Mary became refugees. They had to go to Egypt. It was not easy. Right. And uh they didn't have any room for them in the end, you know, they were rejected, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, the, uh, there's a, a few things that, you know, like when we think about it, we realize this wasn't this dreamy pictured kind of thing that it was happy. And so I try to remember people who are having a hard time during Christmas. If we're trying to bring people into churches, remember like, you know, the story of Christmas, it's good to look at the gospels, you know, to look at, realize that it wasn't easy for Mary or Joseph, you know, um, and if you're having a hard time and your Christmas isn't easy, well, your, your Christmas is a lot like Mother Mary and St. Joseph's Christmas. Um, and so I would, because um, I think sometimes people think, well, I have to, you have to be perfect to go to church. Um, or the other way around, um, I know those, some of those people that go to church, they're not perfect and uh, they're a bunch of hypocrites. And so I don't want to go to the <laughs> And I would say, right. You're right, because it's a hospital for sinners, right? Mm. That's what the church is. Um, and uh, Archbishop Fallen Sheen very beautifully described, he said, there's two sides to a church. He's like the negative and the positive. And he says, if you think about the negative, there's pus, there's blood, you know, there's sickness, there's death. But the positive is there's healing, there's recovery, there's life. You know, there's, mm. and I think spiritually speaking too, yeah, there's people at the church that are broken, 100%, right? Um, and uh, they're trying to be better. Right. And so on the other side, you know, we have sins and we have scandals, but the other side, we also have uh, forgiveness and second reconciliation. We have people who are trying to renew themselves, you know, coming from addictions, coming from whatever it may be. Um, and uh, they're trying to uh, grow close to Christ, who's the only one who can really heal us. Right. Yes. Uh, so I think it's important to, um, to, when we're talking with people, at least when I'm trying to reach out that, you know, um, don't wait till you're perfect to come to mass or to come to church because you're you're going to die <laughs> not coming to church. Um, you you know come as you are. Um, yep. Now at the same time, the Lord loves us where we are, but He calls us to be where He is, right? Mm. Um, and that's what the sacrament of reconciliation so is, yep. is. And you know He does call sinners, but He calls them to come and follow Him, right? Yes. You know mm. he, he mentions to everybody, I, and uh, some people say, well. Does uh, the church welcome transgender people or homosexuals? Or And I would say, yes, mm-hmm. he does. But look what he says in the scriptures. He says, if anyone wishes to become my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so 
that's the thing is that he's asking us, he's asking everybody, he gives everybody the same directions is that we have to die to our selfishness or our concept of what we think is centered around ourselves. And we need to put Christ there. And I would say that's the two major uh, besides uh, the devil trying to take away our souls and, and our Lord trying to save them. I would say strategically what the devil tries to do is he tries to make, he wants us to make gods of ourselves and that everything be about ourselves. And so the world uh, has these ideologies that all are self oriented towards the self, whereas Christ is the center with the discipleship and coming to Christ. So I would say, you know, everybody's welcome. But the idea is that when you come into the church when, from Christ himself is that he is the way, the truth and life, not myself, Yes, that he's calling me to pick up my cross and follow him, all of us. Uh, so that means to, um, to be, a more selfless to be concerned about others goodness and care for them and not so much about myself right that i don't define uh my own uh identity or reality or gender or whatever that it's god has already made me uh, god loves me where i am and if i if i try to this it's a scary thing for a lot of people to say i would say yes let god love your brokenness let god love you as even the parts of your life that you don't like, that you hate, yet you have to allow God into everything so that he can really change you, right? You know, when we think of the apostles, their great shame was that they all ran away from Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, right? We hear that they all ran away. But in the resurrection, he says, peace be with you, right? So shalom, he forgives them. And then he commissions them. And so... The, the that shame of running away is what he forgives and then of course through his death and resurrection they realize everything he was saying was true and they they want to share the gospel right i think that's the important thing is i think some people they see a priest or they'll see somebody like you david and they'll say well you're being presumptuous you're being judgmental you think you're better than me but what i would say is it would be like jesus would be like someone who is a doctor that can cure cancer and he cured my cancer and that cancer is sin, right? So he forgives it. Now, of course, it's up to me to try to make sure I don't fall into that again. But, you know, so my sharing the gospel with another person is from humility. It's not from pride. Mm-hmm. It's just saying, like, this is the best surgeon to get rid of this cancer called sin, right? So when I'm sharing with people, we need, I would say, our position in evangelization and inviting people to church is from our brokenness. It's from when we are weak, then we are strong from St. Paul mentions, right? So if I'm sharing with somebody, I say, hey, I don't have everything figured out either. But the Lord is patient, right? He walks with us. He wants us to know him. And he forgives our sins and brings us closer to him. And I've seen him work in my own life, right? So when we're inviting people to church, it's not like I'm so awesome and perfect and you're so horrible and broken. So come to church so you can be awesome and perfect, you know? Uh, I think... Uh, what doesn't serve very well is this, you know, um, prosperity gospel, right? Which is basically worshiping money and using God as a vending machine, right? It's, mm-hmm. you know, they're not concerned about a God. They, they, they say, well, you know, like, give me more money or whatever, and then you'll receive more money. And God will be, you know, if you, you know, follow the laws of God or whatever, then he'll bless you with money. Well, basically, you're just using God to get more money yourself. It's not, you're not interested in a relationship with God. Like, that's it's very apparent in that prosperity gospel. I'm like, the true richness is Christ himself. <laughs> the true richness is, is being in a relationship with God himself, right? But of course, 
um, that doesn't sell. <laughs> that well, you can't you make just, you them. just quoted the verse there, Father, right? Uh, those who want to be disciples of Christ need to take up their cross and follow him. And I don't think there's too many uh, messages like that in those types of congregations. Uh, I think we could probably agree on that. Uh, which is sad, um, and and those are these are folks that uh, that us Catholics we we've got the mission to to evangelize and to um, make suffering something that uh, you know like, like it says in Scripture like the Pharisees uh, whenever they were fasting you know everybody knew they were fasting they were miserable right and in their suffering but uh, you know when when we carry our cross it's so important that we do so with joy you know maybe it's uh, maybe we're not jumping up and down and, and clicking our heels doing it but uh, there is certainly a, a joy that's found in a relationship with Christ and suffering with joy and, uh, and being that example to others. And, you know, back to your, your analogy too, uh, with bringing people back to church, Father, it's just like going to a gym, right? And trying to get back in physical shape. You know, you're not going to start stop going to the gym because you see a bunch of overweight people there. They're going there because they're trying to get in better shape and better physical shape. And Sometimes that first 10 minutes on the treadmill is a lot like that, that first 10 minutes at church and, and hitting your knees and, and praying. And it, it might not be easy to start, but uh, once you get through that first 10 minutes, you can really build on that, right? And, and no different than the spiritual life. So, Yeah, I, I think building is a great point. I would uh, like, you, like one comment to mention, when you go to the gym and you come back, you look in the mirror, what do you see? Nothing. Yeah. And so you could uh, take from that, well, if I go to the gym, nothing happens. And sometimes people go to church. And they come back and they look like, well, nothing's happened. But of course, if you go to the gym consistently, then you start seeing change in your life, right? And it's the same thing with faith. The more I allow Christ to move in my life and I refer to Christ, I say, well, if you're going to be my shepherd, you know, how should I be leading my life? You know, you, we start to, in the questions of life, we don't just consult ourselves or people that we like, but we start consulting the Lord. And doing that over time consistently we're coming back to the sacraments then we see that the lord will shape and change our life but it's over time right now sometimes if god wants to work in a beautiful instance in a miracle whatever praise the lord he can do that but over time is usually how he works with us well big thanks again to father carlos nunez for joining us on this episode of the podcast to give us uh, some time to reflect and some pause during the advent season making sure we're in a state of grace preparing our hearts to receive Jesus in a special way on Christmas Day. And remember, during Christmas, on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, there's going to be some faces that are going to be coming to our churches and attending Mass that haven't been there in a long time. So let's really pray for the grace that during this Advent season, you know, what does Jesus want for his birthday? He wants our hearts, doesn't he? He wants our hearts. And living in right relationship with him means living in a state of grace. So let's go to confession. Let's receive the Eucharist worthily. And on Christmas Day, we can humbly present that to him. And when he sends these people that haven't been to Mass in a long time, or maybe that's the only time they ever go to church, our disposition and the hope that lives within us, this bright light that is Jesus Christ, let's pray that uh, it's going to be attractive to other people, the people that are going to come to church, and they're going to say, hmm, these folks are real interesting. They've got a lot of joy in their hearts. They're clearly believers of Jesus Christ. I want to come back here again. I want to come back to church. I want to come back to Mass. And I want to participate in the sacraments again. Now's the time, my friends. It's late in the game. Look outside in the world what's going on, right? It's late in the game. So let's pray for each other on this journey. It's not always easy. 
but we've got each other, the gift of each other in our community, in our parish, in our family. This is what we need. This is what the world tries to take away from us. But we're the opposite. We are called to be children of light. So let's be that salt and light to this world. And thank you for listening to the Catholic Canuck podcast. Hey, follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, and uh, subscribe and share and drop us a review wherever you listen to your fine podcasts. And remember that we need to go to confession as Catholics often. It's not always fun, but it feels pretty good when we leave that confessional, doesn't it? So let's go do that here during Advent. And hey, you got to do it at least three times every year, including Advent and Lent. Anytime you're in a state of mortal sin, don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.